Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ, and welcome to The Spirit of EQ podcast. Life is a journey. Spirit of EQ helps shape and guide the road ahead for individuals, leaders, teams, and organizations striving to realize their full potential through emotional intelligence. Spirit of EQ is a coaching and consulting company that assists individuals and businesses to reach their full potential by developing emotional intelligence. In business, managers and leaders recognize the value of training to develop leadership skills. What they may not realize is that those skills are far more effective when they pay attention to not only performance, but also to people. Emotional intelligence is a crucial skill because people drive performance and emotions drive people. Today we have a very special guest, Toya Spencer. And not joining me this week is my partner in crime, Jeff East. He is out ill, but we wish him well. Toya Spencer, it's so great to see you. Thank you. You know, a lot of times as a host, we, we get into these rhythms of what we typically say. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I've been wanting to have you on the show. Those of you in the audience, I have been wanting Toya to be on this show for probably the last three months. And she probably doesn't know that at all that depth, but I'm going to, I'm going to kind of give it to you as to why we had a conversation. It's probably been three or four months ago. And there were some things that she said to me, uh, around diversity and inclusion that just have stuck in my brain. And when that happens for me, that's that motivation to go, I need to get him on the show. I need to get him on the show. Now, I don't, I didn't know you super well then. So it wasn't like I could just say, Hey, Toya, uh, we're recording and next week. Can you make it? So I'm kind of going slowly, slowly, slowly. And you were gracious enough to agree to be on. So I am very excited for what we're going to talk about today. So Toya, director of diversity and inclusion. Um, but your background is so much broader than just that title. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your background and how that's played? Because you've been in this space for a bit, right? Yes. So um, I've been this in this space for probably about 16, about 16 years. I started um, doing diversity, equity, inclusion work at a pretty interesting company, um, Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, and Heard of people, <laughs> and when people hear that brand, there's a lot of things that come to mind, right? When right. you hear about that brand, probably yeah. one that's not the most inclusive or the most diverse. Um, back then, I would say they've made a lot of strides um, um, in the last couple of years. But mm-hmm. 
I started my career there straight out of graduate school, um, initially started on the product side of the business. So I have kind of like two uh, careers at A&F. So the first side, first um, about eight years on the product side, did some really cool things, product development, um, had a chance to, you know, travel all over the world with our manufacturers and vendors and all that great stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we had that uh, lawsuit. Yes, I remember that. $50 million lawsuit whereby it was a class action lawsuit. And the organization agreed and said, you know, there's some things that we probably uh, need to do better. Okay. And, um, right. and so they hired at that time a vice president of diversity and inclusion and he joined the organization. I met him, and he asked me to, to be a part of his team. So I was kind of his first person on the team okay. and, and worked right alongside of him in doing this sort of transformative organizational change work around diversity, equity, inclusion at ANF. Wow. You know, um, and I butchered the, 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 the acronym. I, I, I find myself saying DEI, and then I remember we used to call it diversity and inclusion. So I, I apologize about that. One thing that's very intriguing to me, um, you know, you think of these large organizations like an Abercrombie and you think change. It's like, oh, my gosh, how do you move that giant ship, mm-hmm. right? Because I would imagine that lawsuit kind of was we want change now type thing. Mm, yes. So there – so, you know, at that organization um, came to – have an, an initiative mm-hmm. by force, if you will, external right. sort right. of um, uh, measures, right? right? Other organizations come to it where they naturally say, wow, this is something that we need to do. Um, let's make some changes in the organization. So because we were in that situation, right. there were um, outlines, you know, I, for, I can't, the actual name is escaping me, but right. every six months we had to report into a judge everything that we were doing around diversity, equity, oh my inclusion, gosh. from a recruiting standpoint, from a hiring standpoint, from where we advertising and what magazines, all of, you know, the detail. And this was, was this part of the settlement? Yes, this okay. was part of the settlement, wow. right? And so... So it, in that environment, it felt a little bit more, um, I mean, you could say you're forced to do some things. Right. So you're balancing things that you're forced to do with right. trying to create authentic change with people. Yeah. And sometimes that can be challenging because you have some folks who are like, wow, this is great. We should be doing this. And then you have others who are like, okay, how much longer do we have to do this? And how quickly can we get through it? And it was a seven-year consent decree. So we're not talking a couple of months. And so the the great thing is, is when you look at organizational change and when you start to see evidence of that and those Mm -hmm. things that whatever you're trying to do take root, you start seeing those changes at the five-year mark. So we were fortunate that all of those things that we were doing, even Mm -hmm. though – we were doing them because we had to do them. There was change that yeah. was really starting to take root in attitudes and behaviors and, you know, common language that was being established and people really beginning to see um, a shift in the organization. That's so interesting to me. And I'm going to um, course correct because I'm going to come back to some of that. But let me let you finish 
uh, talking about your background. So you, you were in Abercrombie. You're in the midst of this, um, obviously, a lot of change. Uh, what was next? What would what, tell tell us more of that? Sure. So um, spent at about a 16 year span of time yeah. at A and F. So yeah. again, all of that was not in DEI. Okay. Um, actually, was called diversity and inclusion at the time. The equity piece didn't come along until later. <laughs> a we later. can talk okay. about that too. <laughs> yeah. But um, left uh, Abercrombie and Fitch and then went on to Huntington Bank. Um, the corporate headquarters downtown, yep. Columbus. And that was in part because I had some family changes. I became a mom uh-huh. and um, wanted to have a little bit more um, stability in terms of being at home and not having to travel, travel internationally much. so much. Right, right, right. So that was perfect. So you are in you know, a bank. We have a, a had a footprint of about six states. So it kept okay. me local. Yep. And it kept me challenged in that I was in a different um, field. So, you yeah, know, retail to oh banking, my gosh, right? yeah. retail to banking, you know, those <laughs> corporate environments couldn't be any farther apart. I mean, I you know, suiting up every day and <laughs> coming from wearing jeans and flip flops, you know, and Chuck Taylors. Right. Big difference. Yeah. Um, and then after Huntington Bank, I went to a global life and sciences technology company called Danaher and okay. um Spent some time there doing some global work again. So got back in that space. Mm-hmm. I think I was kind of missing the global impact and responsibility. Wow. And um, made a decision to go back. And then it was a little short-lived because the demands of that job. Um, and you were well into being a mom at that yeah, point, Yeah, I was too, well right? into being a mom. Yeah. And, um, you know, and this is interesting because it's okay. Sometimes you think you're ready to go back to a space and you get there. And for me, um, life sort of taught me a lesson about what was really important for me, for me, right? And so I made a decision at that point, one of the best and scariest decisions to walk away from corporate um, Mm -hmm. and take about a three and a half year hiatus from corporate work um, to be a mom and to sort of figure out what was my next step and what was going to be purpose work for me. Wow. That's, um, you know, you happen to be on a show about emotional intelligence, Toya. <laughs> you're just, you're like a walking advertisement of that, the power of decision making. When, yeah. yeah, that's that's awesome. So um, one of the things uh, that I wanted to talk about, uh, and I know I, I butchered the acronym in the beginning, and then you just mentioned again how we added equity into the mm-hmm. so if you were to if somebody listening now would say okay so how are you defining it what what, what is dei what does it mean sure. to and maybe not so much to the the person that's in that world mm-hmm. maybe sure. you're in an organization where they're hearing it a lot mm-hmm. more these days if not it's like now there are programs so talk yeah. about your vision around sure. that so for me, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and again, I mentioned sort of the evolution of right. it. And I think we've, we've seen, you know, so diversity for, in my mind is this broad term of all of the things that make us different, right? Um, that um, define who we are on the inside and on the outside. So it's this combination of things that you see about a person, those things you don't see about a person. Okay. Um, and when we talk about that in North America – you know, in the United States, it's generally focused on a couple of things. It's race, gender, right. sexual orientation, maybe religion, maybe immigrant status. But um, I have always been um, a student of 
um, a model that we've always used, that I've used in my work um, that was created by Garden, Schwartz, and, uh, and Rowe, two professors. Mm-hmm. Um, and they propose that there are 24 dimensions of diversity. Um, there's four layers of diversity. Um, and so you have at the center of that is your personality. You get to the in, inter, um, internal dimensions, which are things like race, gender, sexual orientation, ability. Right. Then you move out into external dimensions, which are like geographic locations. Mm-hmm. And then we go into um, organizational dimensions, like where you are in the organization, your tenure, content, work. So that is diversity. I like to use that definition because I think we tend to get stuck on a couple of things. Yeah. Right? And when you start looking at the broadness of how diversity can be defined, I think it might cause some paradigm shift in terms of how you talk about diversity. Okay. Gotcha. Um, inclusion is just what do you do with that diversity? It's not just enough to say, oh, we hired all of these people or we have this, 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 and this. You can take it off. But – how does it feel when those people come to work every single day? Are mm. they seen? Are they valued? Or do they feel like they're just, yeah, they're checking that box of that aspect of diversity that you need? And then mm. the equity piece is creating a space where people not only equally are involved, right, but they're um, involved in such a way where you're taking into consideration their situation or their circumstance. So the way that plays out for me, for example, in education, Mm -hmm. we say, okay, we want to provide equal access to all students. But in doing so, equity says, I need to be mindful of where that student is coming from or their experience and their background and give that student what they need Mm -hmm. to be successful in the classroom. It may not be exactly the same for all students. So in my mind, equity takes us one step past equality saying, hey, I do this for everybody. But what you do for everybody may not necessarily be enough to get that person to a level of where they're successful and being able to climb over the fence like the next person. Wow. Wow. That's great. That's great, Toya. And uh, for those of you in the audience, and I I don't know if I leaped over it in the beginning, you've moved into the education space now, yes, right? Yes, I have. Um, which, which I think is really, really powerful. Um and and so much the the work that we do at Spirit of EQ is not um, targeted toward uh, students. We obviously can see the importance because if if they can begin to embrace that, I mean, you just the way you described it there, Toya, um, confirms for me once again why I wanted you on the show. <laughs> um, because that one to me, the way you described it, I. I I would have to say that 90% of the people would go, well, of course, yeah, that's what we should do, right? Mm-hmm. And and keep in mind, I realize some people deal with their old neural pathways where maybe they they looked at it as equality and equity as a new thing. Mm-hmm. And they're still trying to figure out, well, how do sure. I navigate that? Sure. And I get it. There's probably a percentage out there that says, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. You can listen to a different show. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to talk about the path forward, and I think that that's where that plays into. So, Toya, one of our early, early conversations around this idea about racist, anti-racist, and and you said some things that said that that's not a really good place to start if you're really wanting true change. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic? Sure. So, um, So I will start by saying that I believe um, in 
the principles of anti-racism, meaning that we want to, I want to live in a society, want to work in an organization, be in a school district right. that is devoid of racism. Okay? Yes, right. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, however, for me, um, part of the language that we hear mm-hmm. in anti-racism conversation, I will be honest, for me, as a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional, is not language that I'm familiar with, nor language that I have ever embraced in all of my work um, wow. in this space. So, um, and so in many ways, I think for me, I am kind of familiarizing myself with this new environment that we're in and yep. having this conversation. Yep. Um, it's a necessary conversation, but for me, I'm not sure that that is the way forward for, for us in Worthington schools where I am right now, yeah, um, I think it's an incomplete conversation. That's Maybe a that's a better it. way to say it. Yeah, because when we look at the again, I'll go back to my definition of diversity. Mm-hmm. When we look at the broadness of diversity, race is one component of that. And so, what I feel is that the conversation on anti-racism um, is is an incomplete conversation because when I think about my work as a DEI leader, I'm thinking of all aspects of diversity. So my students um, and and my community members that are LGBTQ, where do they fit in the conversation of Mm -hmm. anti-racism? Or my students that have disabilities or, you know, families with uh, children that have disabilities, where do they fit in that conversation? So it is... From my vantage point, a part of a larger conversation, which that larger conversation for me is diversity, equity, inclusion. How am I creating inclusion around all of these aspects of diversity? How am I creating an equitable environment around all of those aspects of diversity of which race is a part of it? Um, That's that's really, really good. That's really good. That that gives me a lot of clarity because I think sometimes, you know, and I – I have very strong opinions about our mm-hmm. media and how it kind of manipulates conversation to mm-hmm. suit the needs of the, I would say, the organization, whether it's ratings, earnings, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, because as an African-American male, I feel kind of limited when the conversation is only around the pigment color of my skin. Mm-hmm. It is a part. There's no getting around it. But yeah. there's also another part of me that goes, well, wait a minute. I'm, I know I don't particularly like that. Mm-hmm. I particularly like this. Mm-hmm. And some of that can be very deeply held by me. Yeah. And if it's not addressed, and I, I think I'm not alone here, Toya, mm-hmm. if, if, you, if you dismiss or leave without making room for those other things, mm-hmm. it gives you a sense of, well, I guess that doesn't matter to them. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and I think that though I, I know it's almost near to impossible to, to take each individual's uniqueness and make sure that every part of that uniqueness is addressed. Sure. But what I like about what you were describing is that there is this overarching motivation to mm-hmm. to do that, right? Sure. To, yes. to, to respect it. And, and again, here's, here's a great one. And, and our, our producer, Brett, knows I talk about Miles Davis a lot on these shows. I like Miles Davis, yes. <laughs> right? Oh, I'm glad mm-hmm. I have someone in my tribe. Yes. Um, so th- <clears throat> there's something about his music. There's something about his artistry, the way that he approached it, that speaks to me. Mm-hmm. But there's some people, Toya, that go, 
I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sure. uh, my wife would be one of those. It's like, she'll go, okay, that was nice. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But each of us, I think we want to feel that there's more to us than just something that is manifested physically. Right. 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 Um, so I, I love that, um, that idea. Uh, I'm going to take you back in time. And you, you weren't there, but, but mm-hmm. it, this is for me, a story from my background. Okay. The, the, many, many, many years ago, long, long a time ago, far, far away galaxy, I used to be in the corporate world. And in this organization, Fortune 500 company, mm-hmm. and we were in a division of many divisions mm-hmm. within the organization. And <clears throat> this was probably in the early, mid-2000s, right? And some of this stuff was starting to bubble up. How do we act more on purpose about, you know, in, in this case, it was recruiting, mm-hmm. right? You know, to, to have a more diverse workforce. I think that's kind of how it was couched. And um, I remember having a conversation with a human resources uh, professional. And I said, well, um, you know, I'm a person I kind of like, I want to do something. I, I, I don't want to have another meeting mm-hmm. to talk about what we could do. And I'd brought up, well, why don't you go find like go to the colleges and find out what organizations within that are housed and have particular groups of people who are what you're targeting and just say, hey, we we can't guarantee everybody a job. We're not saying that just because of that you get this, sure. but we're interested in you mm-hmm. and we want you. When we have positions, we want you to apply. And I remember it was like a room of crickets. Mm. And I thought, well, that's easily done. I mean, it's just you, you call the university and say, sure. hey, look, I'm with and, – and again, Fortune 500. Yes. So it wasn't Bill's Auto Repair right, right, right. in Lancaster or something, <laughs> right? It was a, it was a large yes. organization. had a very big brand. Yes. And I always wonder, well, why wouldn't they act on that? Yeah. So what do you think are some of the blocks? Because I know mm. that, that there's well-intentioned in the, on the lips. Yes. But what really moves it, is it not the well-intentioned and the heart? I'm kind of making a play on the words there, yes. but what do you think are some of the reasons why we wouldn't do certain things to improve? Yeah. And I know that could be a long list. Sure. But. Well, so, you know, in light of everything that I feel like transpired last year, right? right? Mm-hmm. All of the social unrest, the racial unrest, Yep. Um, we had a lot of organizations that were – making statements were, um, you know, putting a black box up to, you know, um, show support mm-hmm. of the African-American community. Yep. Um, and I was one of those people that was watching those companies, right? I was mm-hmm. watching to see, one, what's the first step, right? Are you making a statement? I was evaluating the content of the statement for the sincerity, uh, the honesty yeah. and the accountability and the actions that we're going to follow, right? Yep. Um, and so I think for me, it's an organization that would say, acknowledge, you know what? We haven't done really well in this space, right? Mm-hmm. For whatever the reasons, I mean, you know, let's just be real. Many companies don't do this well, right? And right. so you sure. wouldn't be the only company out there that says we have not you know, done a great space of recruiting for diverse talent, for people of color, for any other aspect of diversity, whatever that may be. Right. We haven't done a great job at that. Mm-hmm. Great. You're in great company because there are a lot of companies out there that haven't. Okay? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But it's then saying, what are we going to do about it? Right. You have that level of honesty. And then you say, we're going to put a plan in place. 
One of the things that I always think about and I encourage an organization um, after you've made the statement, okay, it comes from your lips and saying this is something we want to do. The next thing I think about is, are you really ready? Right. Is the organization really ready Mm -hmm. to say we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to do the difficult, the long work of making change in this space? So I think it's a great idea to go through a process by which you're saying, realistically, as an organization, are we ready to undertake such an effort? Because you're going to look at things like, is our leadership on board? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. so we're saying that. But do we have leadership commitment, leaders that are committed in words and in action? Are they going to make bold uh, decisions? Are they going to shake things up, take risks? Right. Because you're going to have to do some things differently to get different results. Yep. Um, Do we have things in place in the organization? Do I have if say we're going to, you know, one of the staples of any um, DEI strategy is, is training. It's a part of it, not the only thing that makes the difference, right? Right, right? But it's a part of it. Do I have training in place? Do I have the structure to support a organizational-wide rollout of training around diversity, equity, inclusion, around implicit bias, around microaggressions? Do I have mm-hmm. that in place? Yep. Can I support that? Yep. Um, do I have the financial resources allocated to have a sustainable initiative? Do I have a person that is... Um, a person or people Mm -hmm. who are going to be identified, who are going to lead this. Because if you really want to have a change process, you got to have somebody that this is, they're focused on this, right? And and the support. So Mm -hmm. you can't just hire a person and go, okay, you run with it. You go do it. They have no support. They have no resources. They have no budget. They have nothing. And I'm going to take you back to your statement about Abercrombie, that was a five-year deal to get to kind of breakthrough, right? Seven. Yes. Seven years. Okay. It was a seven-year consent decree, right? So there's an acknowledgement that this is not happening tomorrow. Exactly. It doesn't happen overnight, right? And so um, are you embedding your initiative in the organization? Is it connected to objectives and goals? Is it part of the business strategy? Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Is it sustainable or is it just a flavor of the day? Yes. And Toya, um, I, I go back a bit um, last year and, and I, was, I was on a, um, it was a Zoom call and it was kind of, this was just after what happened with George Floyd in Minneapolis. And um, obviously I've lived in, well, not obviously, but mm-hmm. I've lived in the United States virtually all my life, mm-hmm. right? So I, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've heard and I've seen a lot, mm-hmm. right? I'm only 12, but you know. <laughs> 12 plus. A 12 plus, 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 plus. Um, but the reality is, is that I've heard a lot of this before. Yes. And I remember on this call and I said, you know, yes. I, I just got to say this, guys. I said, sometimes, and I don't know if I use the term white America, but mm-hmm. it, it was something to that. I said, you guys remind me of like Christmas time. Mm-hmm. I said, around late November, I start hearing jingle bells and silent night. Mm-hmm. And in my head, in my brain, I go, oh my gosh, it's, we're getting close to Christmas mm-hmm. time. It's pretty soon we're going to see the trees, the decorations and the lights and you know all that. And then sometime between December 25th and December 31st, I don't hear, like, silent night. Mm-hmm. Most lights are down. Mm-hmm. And then when January comes, it's like 
we go back to what we did yeah. before. And I remember saying, I'm not trying to pour water on sure. sincere desire for change, but sure. you've got to remember something. Some of us have been watching and quite frankly are a little skeptical that you have yes. it in you to actually do something yes. with it. That has led me to um, – it leads me to thinking about a conversation we had mm-hmm. about systemic racism. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things – and I full disclosure, I, I've been a little worn out by all the media coverage because mm-hmm. it's like you, know, that's, you turn it on, that's what you hear. You sure. hear and I, and I hear it, systematic racism. Systematic, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. Okay, I, yeah, I'm sure. Intellectually, I always known mm-hmm. that that exists. Mm-hmm. But here's what's funny, and you may remember where, mm-hmm. where I went with this: yes. is that uh, it was about two in the morning, and I'm one of these weird people, uh, ladies and gentlemen, out there in the audience of uh, land that I sometimes need to hear radio background noise mm-hmm. to help me sleep. Mm-hmm. So I happen to have on um, Colin Cowherd, mm-hmm. um, who actually I, I do enjoy his program. I do enjoy him as a, as a radio personality. And he had on there LeVar Arrington, mm-hmm. former NFL linebacker, all pro type guy. And he's a, if you owe it to yourself to listen to him because he's, he's a really smart guy mm-hmm. and he's got some interesting insights. So I just I, – for some reason I wake up and I hear them talking – and they're talking about the NFL coaching tree. Mm-hmm. And most everyone has heard of, okay, there's the Bill Walsh coaching tree. There's mm-hmm. the Andy Reid coaching tree. And especially there's the Bill Belichick yes. coaching tree. Yeah. And Arrington had such a – it was a poetic way of – and he didn't – and, and Toy, you remember, you remember me saying this. Mm-hmm. He didn't come out and say systematic racism. Yeah. He, it was this poetic way of saying – well, you know, if you worked with Andy Reid 15 years ago, who happened to also work with Bill Belichick, who happened to also work with and work with, mm-hmm. and then you, when they were putting together a new team or when somebody got fired and went to a new team, they call you up and say, hey, I'd like you to come. Um, that works out real great for you. But I guess if you're not in that circle and you're like, hey, I'd, I'm really good at this too, and I'd like to be a part of this, and you might find yourself – on the outside looking in. Yes. And he said it much better than I just mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. But that, at by that time, 2.30 in the morning, I'm going, I personally, I felt it was a God thing. Yes. It was, it was, it yes. was as if God said, so what do you think about systematic racism now, Eric? Yeah. yeah. And I go, he just described it. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming to you and saying, okay, Toya, maybe I've got this all wrong with the definition. Maybe this is not. But it sounds like this is systematic racism. Yeah. And to be fair to all those coaches in the coaching, they may not be necessarily evil, mean, you know, overtly. I, I, you know, I want to do bad things to right. anyone who isn't, doesn't look like me, talk like me or whatever. Right. But it still exists. Yes. So yes. can we talk uh, just a little yes, bit about that? And, and did course. I is that kind of what systematic yeah. racism is? So so essentially, yes, you're right. Right, that's a great example of it. It is when people are operating in a system, right? Mm-hmm. So if yep. you so I'm the kind of person where I like to go back to the root. Let's go back to the history because yep. I think when you do that, you understand and it gives you a greater perspective and understanding of where we are right now. Yeah. So if you look at where college, you know, where um, NFL football was, who were the, you know, um, 
first players who created it, you you look at what did those people look like? They were all white males. Oh, sure. Right? Yep. They were all mm-hmm. white males. Yep. Now, they were creating a system that was uh, for them, right, with them in mind. Right. So we're not – it's not saying that those people purposely, right, when you look at systemic things, when you look at institutionally when they were created – there's not a natural assumption that it was always created to keep people out, right? Right. What happens is, is sometimes people who are amongst themselves, that's all they know in their circle, they're going to create something that benefits people who look like them, right? If their circle is not inclusive of other people, then those that are around you, you're like, oh, yeah, well, this works. Yeah, you know, we do this. We think alike. We do this alike, right? And so you end up with a system that is benefiting people who think like you, look like you, come from the same network as you, and no one has ever given any thought that this could be exclusive to somebody else who may not be a part of that. So what happens is is people play out in that system. They just keep navigating in that system. It's benefiting you if you're part of that system. But if you're on the outside looking in going, whoa, wait, I want to be a part of this system or get in, well, you don't really have the networks or the connection or, right? And so people are just operating in a system. I don't always think, and this is where I think people get offended, mm-hmm. right? Um, that I don't make the natural assumption that a person, is race, a person is racist because they're operating in a system or they're working or using a system right. that could be racist, right? That could be exclusionary, right? I don't know that people are always fully aware and conscious of the fact that they're operating in a system and doing something that is leaving other people out, right? And that's where you start getting into the conversation of unconscious bias or, you know, all of these things that, you know, in our in our country, we're operating in ways and and systems that were created that people are just doing right. They're just doing it, and they're having negative outcomes and impact, um, you know, for certain groups of people. But do I necessarily think everybody who's operating in those systems are doing so with an awareness and consciousness that they're actually excluding people? I don't know that that would be true. Yeah. No, I, I you know, I, mm-hmm. and so that has been my experience when I right. was, you know, in my job at A&F, right? What was happening when we got in there? Well, we, we recruit at this school. Okay. Well, we recruit from this fraternity or sorority. So what was happening is it's everybody was going to the people that they knew, right? So, but if your circle is this small, then what are you going to do? You're going to get people that look just like you, think like you, act like you. It's going to be this vicious cycle, yeah, yeah. And and you know what's interesting to me, too? Um, I – and this is the part that – well, we're so passionate about emotional intelligence and, you know, Toya, the, the role that I quite frankly think that EQ plays in supporting those change initiatives because it's very clear that, you know, between attention spans shrinking and I almost would say culturally – and I, I'm going to try to be tender here mm-hmm. if I can. Mm-hmm. I think we, we've we've sort of allowed intellectual laziness to creep into how we we operate. Sure. Okay. Because if if you're a white executive and someone says, you know, you really need to be focusing more on what's happening in the Hispanic community, mm-hmm. 
that's going to require some work. Yes. Because you're going to see people that look different yes. to you. They're going to behave yes. different to you. I mean, fill the blank. And in all fairness, it could be the you're a black executive. Yes. And they say, we need more people looking at the LGBTQ community. That's right. You're going to be confronted with something. It's not going to be easy work. Yeah. And it used to be, I felt we were in a place where we wouldn't shy away from mm-hmm. tough work. Sure. You know? Yes. Um, because the reward for it is so profound, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things that I love about the competencies around the, the emotional intelligence model we have is that it is the idea that is driving me as a human being to make better, more sound decisions. Yes. Because if we don't get out of this loop of laziness and, you know, fill in the blank, I mm-hmm. mean, we could add to the list, right? I think what we end up doing is, well, let's just hire somebody. Mm-hmm. Like you were describing, right? Okay, you're hired. You'll be the chief, de- whatever, whatever, whatever. And mm-hmm. okay, and let me know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll meet once a month and you tell me how it's going. Yes. And there's a press release. Mm-hmm. And okay, and then we're going to expect, as you described, mm-hmm. you're going to expect that person with no support, financial, emotional, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it fails. Yes. And I, I guess what I'm thinking in, in terms here is that um, the decision-making process for someone who is definitely committed to it, who's maybe they've had their heart broken, mm-hmm. which I typically find is, is a key way to get somebody to move to change mm-hmm. is to get your heart broken. Yeah. Um, Toya, if that person is that, right, mm-hmm. I'm committed, Toya. I want to do something about it. What's what are some things you might if you said I'm gonna here come here I'm gonna talk to you Matt one on one yeah what would you tell them what would you say hey yeah. be prepared hey here's something you need to consider what be it large or small organization yeah um I think you have to figure out your why of why you're doing this uh, as an organization right. right so as we said we talked about there were a lot of organizations that were rushing to say hey we're committed to make a statement yeah right. But then once we get past all the noise, like all of the hype and all of, you know, the expectations of companies to do this, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Are you really saying that we want to be an organization that is moving in this space, right? We understand the um, influence that we have at whatever organization that you are, right? Mm -hmm. You have a customer base. You have, um, you know, people that connect to your brand, like we want to be an organization that is about purpose and, and about change. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some research and reading an article, and I will provide that for you all later. Okay, great. But where organizations are moving now in this space is around purpose. And they're connecting diversity, equity, and inclusion work around the purpose of an organization. Mm. Um, and so for me, I think that's powerful. So an organization is saying, we're not just about our shareholders, right? But we're about our stakeholders, and knowing who your stakeholders are, my customers. So for me, the way that I translate that in being, um, you know, in a public school district, my stakeholders are my students, my uh, teachers and my um, principals and my families, right? How mm-hmm. am I serving them, mm-hmm. right, and meeting their needs? And so I think an organization can do the same thing is where do we want to be in this space? How do we want to be transformative? How do we want to be a part of this? How do we recognize who our customers are, our stakeholders, and be able to speak to them um, um, in a way that is meaningful? Um, so I would say 
figure out your purpose, the why of why do you want to do this? Of course, we know that there's it makes business sense. We look at companies that, um, you know, have diversity. They tend to be your, you know, who have diverse staff or diverse board members or diverse, you know, um, executives. They tend to be the more um, successful companies. So there's data out there that supports that. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, you know, those are a couple of reasons why I think it, it, it's a good thing to do. If you want to be profitable, I think of it this way. When I invite more people at the table, right, people who think differently than I do, who have different skill sets than I have, and I can create an environment where I can pull the best out of those people, that puts me in a situation where I'm, like, getting the best out of people and putting us in the best situation. So why would I want to limit that? Why would I want to limit that potential, that diversity of thought, perspective, experience, lived experiences that people have? I want, I I want that. Right. Because if you're thinking of a, a, you know, of an organization, (laughs) your for-profit organization, why would you not want to be able to capitalize on um, market share? You know, (laughs) like, I don't know. It seems know, pretty simple no, to me, that. but yeah. I mean, you know, there are real challenges that people have, yeah, right? Absolutely. You know, people want to be comfortable, right? We like comfort. We like predictability, right? We like that, um, you know, it takes time. Yeah. When you bring more people at the table and you invite more thought, yeah, it's that takes more time. And you know what, Toya? We've talked about this on other shows, this idea about the, these neural pathways that we all have developed. Mm-hmm. And use the analogy of the road Uh, you know some of them are as simple as a residential street and a subdivision Mm -hmm. some of them are as complex as a freeway system and we we started this when we were children yes and some of this is rooted around the idea of how do i survive how do i navigate whether it was a good family situation or a bad family Mm -hmm. situation, good school bad school whatever and those things get developed and our brains are so oh my gosh, the miracle of us as human beings because Mm -hmm. it's designed to protect us, Mm -hmm. to give us order, to give us, you know, direction, all of that. But then change comes. Mm -hmm. Some of that change, as we all know, is forced change. Mm -hmm. We've all experienced it. Some of it is changed by choice. Hey, I'm not going to live here. I'm going to live there. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to work there. I'm going to work here. And our brains are going to resist at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Our brains are going to say, what are you doing? No, 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 no. What? We right. always work here. That's, see, right. we get with, that's the road we take. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the cafeteria we eat in or whatever the case may be. So I think what happens, and I don't think organizations are too far off from this. Mm-hmm. They hit that initial resistance, and then they think about, like you mentioned, comfort. Well, you know, we weren't really that bad, Toya. I mean, we did some <laughs> things last year. Let's just, right? Mm-hmm. The high-performing companies, I would say the more highly emotionally intelligent companies, yeah. are saying this is just part of the process. There is going to be the resistance, but we have to keep it, and we have to keep going. Because whether they know this consciously or not, eventually your brain begins to follow your change. Exactly. Because of that neuroplasticity that we all have, mm-hmm. right? Where all of a sudden it was resisting you, now all of a sudden saying, well, of course we want to change. Of yeah. course it's important. Of yeah. course we want to make have more market share. Yeah. But, man, is it crucial in that beginning oh, framework, yeah. right? Yes. And you've seen it. I mean, it's it's not just rooted only around DEI. It's it's this experience that we're in. And I'm, I'm saying all of that to say those of you in the audience, just don't give up. 
Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It yeah. is uncomfortable. It is, you know, so I've been working with one of our uh, buildings. Um mm-hmm. And the staff wanted me to come in to do some training with them along with my um, colleague who leads our professional training. Mm -hmm. And it was rough, right? Some of these conversations that we had and, you know, when people feel vulnerable, feel safe, right, right, to really Mm -hmm. express where they might be struggling around this idea of diversity and inclusion or bias, right, that doesn't feel good. And the whole way along, I kept saying to the staff, it's okay. This is a part of it. This is going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel scary. You know, it might feel unsafe. You have to get through that in order for us to get on the other side of it. And I kept encouraging, we're all right. I promise you, I'm right here next to you. (laughs) Right? I'm right here next with you, you know. And so, and every time I went with them and we had a conversation, we had a session, I was energized and I was encouraged after each one of those because they went through this struggle together as a staff to say, wow, this was uncomfortable. This was scary. But I think we grew in trust with each other. Yeah. We grew in familiarity with each other. We grew comfortable with the, with each other, right? And those are things that that's when you, you want to have that, when you have an inclusive environment, right? And you can pull on all of those things to get the best out of your um, employees. Yeah. I'm going to touch on um, another thing around uh, the idea of unconscious bias, and then mm-hmm. I want to hear about some of the exciting things you're working mm-hmm. on and into. Um, so I heard this from a gentleman. Um, I, I'm, I think I'm going to get his name right. I think it's Paul David Tripp. Mm-hmm. And he's a he's a different kind of cat. Um, <laughs> just and I love him for it, probably mm-hmm. because of my different kind of cat mentality. <laughs> uh, but he he's 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 given this talk and he says we need to be having these one way, more one way conversations with ourselves. We need to talk to ourselves mm-hmm. more. Now you can look around the audience and go, um, or you what do you you know? And then he kind of does the tongue in cheek. The only problem is, is if you're talking back. I mean, if you're having two-way conversations, then there might be an issue. Mm -hmm. But he said that we don't wrestle with our thoughts and our emotions. Mm. We don't have those self-conversations. And and I go back to that that interview with LeVar Arrington. Mm. It's 2.30 in the morning, and I'm going, okay, wait a minute, Eric. What were you – were you just dismissing that? Mm -hmm. And you go, well, maybe I am. Maybe I maybe I'm in that process of where I've heard it so much that I'm kind of like wanting to say that it's not so because it's so worn out. And I'm so thankful for that self-conversation because it kind of moved me to a place that I may not have been before. And I think that's that idea of. If you want to get out of unconscious bias and I'm not saying this is a silver bullet and if you do it tomorrow, it'll work. But maybe maybe we should go, well, wait a minute. I say that I'm not. I say I'm not that. Well, am I? But what are my actions? What did my calendar reveal? What was I doing six months ago? Maybe five years ago. Mm-hmm. Are we willing to evaluate ourselves? Not to judge. This is not about, hey, you're a bad person. See, now it proves that you're a bad person. Right. This is about... 
finding those things that might be hiding underneath the surface that have Mm. autonomy over you and you don't even really know it. I agree. Right? Yes. Um, so to, to your point, uh, and, and then, then, we, then I want to pivot because I want to hear more about what you're working on. Um, is there uh, – where's the place that people can go? And, and I, I don't know. Maybe it's an accountability group. Maybe it's fellow mm-hmm. DEI mm-hmm. executives or people who – whatever you want to use as the mm-hmm. descriptor. Because I got to imagine a lot of these organizations, people are hitting the wall pretty yeah. hard. I mean yeah. the resistance. Is there a place for them to go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a place. That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I mean, there's tons of podcasts out there. I okay, mean, that's, clearly that's I'm great. on one of them right now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and we're happy but about no, that. But, but honesty, I mean, honestly, there are tons of them out there. And I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. I highly encourage people to be self-reflective, right? Mm-hmm. If you can have the courage to say, hmm, where am I in this space? Am I unknowingly doing something where mm-hmm. I might be contributing to something? Yep. And I think people, you know what I think people are the most afraid of, and I will say white people are the most afraid of, is being called a racist. Mm. I think that is just like, oh my God. Yeah. Right? Like that is so, and, and I think for me, I think very few people, I mean, there are clearly people out there who we could easily identify that. But I think very few people knowingly, intentionally, uh, consciously are racist, meaning that they are out here really trying to put someone down. Like, And so I think sometimes I think that word calling people that and identifying that can be a barrier for people. Yeah. Um, I tend to say um, that people really are operating in a place of unconscious bias, that we do have biases. We do have stereotypes that we operate off of that um, that motivate our behavior. And I think when they're brought to our attention, most people. Right. It has been my experience that most people are like, oh, my gosh, I did not know that. I would agree with that. I am I, yeah. so sorry. I did not realize I was doing that, or I did not realize that my behavior had this impact on you. And Toya, I know you well enough to know that, and I am in your tribe. This is not to say that if you experience something horrifying from someone who is yes. in that category is a racist, that it diminishes that trauma, that that event at all. No. It's right. just we're talking about from the experience on the whole. Um I I sometimes I think um, when we get into this arena um, of where we're really trying to find solutions, mm-hmm. if we're really committed to trying to move the needle from where it was to where we we, we aspire to be, right? Um, it does matter how we position the conversation, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm I've always been of the mind that you know. And again, I'm one of the crazy ones and Mm -hmm. probably our audience would say, yes, he is one of the crazy (laughs) ones. I welcome those conversations with someone who is maybe in that category of, yeah, I do think that your people are the problem Mm -hmm. because I want to understand that. I I want them to explain it. Where did that come from? When did you come to that conclusion that because of skin pigment, it means this? Because oftentimes I think Toya – and this is not just in race and diversity. 
we've got that psychological issue Mm -hmm. that has been unattended to. And a big part of the reason why it has been unattended to is because America has stigmatized mental health to a level that let's say you are a devout racist. Mm -hmm. And 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 you get the conclusion after talking with a dear friend that, man, there's a problem here. And it's much deeper than just your dislike of that group. Mm -hmm. Is that person going to say, well, hey, wow, I'm so grateful for you to say that. Where can I find someone to get some counseling? Most of the time it's like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. No, no, I'm going to – I'll work on this. I've seen that so often in other places. So it for me – I look at it and go, there's something deeper happening here because, again, my experience to what you said, your experience, in most situations, people don't necessarily want that. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so. So for me, I say it's work. It's soul work. It's heart work. Yeah. Right? So I am trying – there is not – the organization can't change unless – because the organization is a collection of people, right? A group of people. So we mm-hmm. speak of organizations as though they're this thing, but they're a thing that's made up of people. Yep. Right? And so for me, it I speak of it in terms of how, where is your heart? Where are you? And what can you change? And are you open to that? Are you curious about other people and their lived yeah. experiences, right, that yep. are different than yours? Do you have empathy around that? Can you, even though you've not lived it, can you understand what an experience may be like from a person who is coming to this country, have no knowledge of anything about this country, doesn't speak the language, right? Do you have a heart? Does that tug at your heart a little bit, even though that's not your lived experience? And could you understand why they might find challenge in navigating in an organization or in a school district or something? Do you feel that And you know what, Toya, when you say that, I'm thinking, and that person, if we'd only realized, do you realize how much more rich your life could be by getting the experience of another human being who maybe, it's just, it's, it's the, it's the saddest irony. It's like we pick and choose. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to talk to them. They look like that. They're from that. I don't need that. Wonderful example for me from a health perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, I discovered maybe 10 years ago, I had arthritis in my lower left back because mm. I had, I went to the doctor and it was like, oh, I can't, I mean, it's, it won't go away. Yeah. Does the x-ray and says, you know, yeah, you've got, you've got arthritis in your lower left. Mm. And he, and he was a general practitioner. So he was kind of like, you can do Motrin or you can put ice, you know, whatever. Mm. I had a friend that said, you know, you should really look at yoga. Mm. Yoga could potentially be something for you. Yeah. And, and he knew me pretty well. And he was kind of mm. like, and it might even be something you'd really get into. Yeah. And his, most people know yoga's origins. It's India, yes. South Asia. Yes. And I started looking into it, and I started doing it, and oh my gosh, mm. I, there's not many things that I have embraced in in the form of physical that have I would say it fixed me. Wow. I have zero. I have no lower left back pain. Wow. Now, you could say, but Eric, that's just exercise. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Or is it me being open yes. and curious yes. you said, to explore something that, I mean, I tell you, when I first started, mm-hmm. I, it would have made a funny video mm-hmm. trying to hold those poses <laughs> and keep my balance, you know, and sure. falling all over the place. Sure. But 
look at the result. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I guess I'm saying it to, this way for the audience is that maybe that's where your organization, maybe that's where you're at personally, where it's like trying to hold a pose and you're, and you're falling over and you look silly and you look like you don't know what you're doing. But you know what? Though I am not going to be on a television show of the perfect – I'm not a yogi, mm-hmm. right? But there's a lot of movements that I couldn't do five years ago that I do now yeah. rather effortlessly. Yes. And it was because I was willing to work at it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I want to get to something else. Okay. What are you excited about? What's inspiring you lately? What's what's going on in your world? Well, in my world, um, I'm in a new role, right? I'm in a yeah. new role. I'm in a new industry, if you will. Yes, you are in a different world because so much of your 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 past career was more of the corporate type deal and education is such a different Yes. So how are you doing? I mean, I you know, ask you that, I right? mean, they <laughs> took a shot on somebody who didn't know anything about education and but knew the work. I, I mean, mean, yeah. I you know, so it's it's been great, right? Okay. So when you're so this is the first time I'm in the number one seat, okay? So I was always very comfortable being in the number two seat. I always said, and my <laughs> yeah. mentor will say this. Right. He would say to me, when are you, he would encourage me, apply for, you know. I'm like, nope, I have no interest in being in a number one seat, doing leading right. this work in any organization. Right. Um, and so I find myself in this space many, many years later. Um, and so... It's been refreshing. It's been fun. It's been challenging. It's been yeah. emotional. Um, all of those things that you, for me, I would say, make it great work. Because it's not easy. Yeah. Um, it's not supposed to be easy, right? When yep. you're yeah. changing hearts and minds, when you're you know, disrupting people's you know, thought processes around things and not in a negative way. I mean, I went into a great situation when you look in the in the way of, you know, where people are when they say they want initiative. Uh, Worthington has been doing work. Right? Yes, they right, had people right. in, in place that were, you know, core committee of folks who were doing things. We have a board of education who's on board. They came out with a statement, you know, um, you know, against anti-racism, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh Yes, saying that we want to be an anti-racist school district. Um, We're supporting social justice. I mean, when you look at, okay, you're walking in, people are saying they're committed. Next up, they're doing the work. Um, So that's been great. I have, you know, support of many, many people, my colleagues, communities been embracing. So I got to ask you within the community aspect, um, Worthington um, is is a suburb. Yes. All right. Mm -hmm. So if you had to break down the percentage of, mm-hmm. of, of say, white, yeah. African-American, Indian, Hispanic, what, what's that look like? In Worthington, per se, mm-hmm. uh, it's very white. It's probably about at least 90% white. Okay. I don't – so when you look at the community itself, yep. the majority is a white um, you know, okay. community. When yep. you look at the school district by comparison, mm-hmm. though – um, our population of color is around 32 percent. So our much of our school district, uh, two thirds of it are Columbus City or Columbus students. Only one third of it is Worthington um, student population. So our community uh, is not our school district is not necessarily reflective of Worthington, Ohio. Okay. Residential population. Gotcha. Um, and so that's where. 
it becomes very real for our school district, right? Because when we look at our, you know, uh, EL population, for example, or Mm -hmm. we look at our racial ethnic population, Mm -hmm. it's very different. And so how do we then as a school district um, are responsive to that? Because it has shifted over the years, right? The demographic makeup of what our student population looks like has changed. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah, but... I have been, you know, Eric, for me, being new to the community as well, I did not grow up in Worthington, nor did I go through Worthington schools. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing for me is establishing relationships, is building relationships. What I know as a diversity person, you, I don't go out. The diversity person does not go out and hire anybody. We don't... um, you know, I'm not in front of students or when I worked at a and I wasn't in a store. Right, right. Right. So I'm not interacting with our customers, you know, in that yes. way or I'm not directly interacting with our students in that way. Yep. So what I have to do is I have to be able to work through people. Right. I have to be able to bring people along with me in this journey and influence behavior. Right. Get people to understand what it is that, I, you know, we're trying to do in Worthington schools. Connect with me. Trust me. Right. Because if people don't trust me, if they're not comfortable with me, if they're not safe with me, um, there's no way I can be able to challenge the organization or challenge people to say, hey, let's start doing that heart work. Let's start looking at do we have processes in place that are inequitable? Right. Do we have things systemically that are producing negative outcomes? Right. So everything that I've been doing right now is building relationships with people, getting to know the community, allowing people to know me, listening to people who are on both sides of it, who are all in, you know, with this diversity, equity, inclusion work and who might be like, "Mm, I'm not sure about this. Yeah. Talk to me, too. Help me to understand where you might be struggling. Where's the entry point for you in this conversation? Right. Yeah. So so that and then I have been working to establish a common language and understanding around this work. Um, So what does diversity, equity, inclusion mean? What does implicit bias mean? Um, What role do I want you to play? As a teacher, as an administrator, what do I want you to do? How do I want you to talk about it? Wow. Um, So we've been doing our impact of implicit bias training. Mm -hmm. Um, So we I've been co-facilitating that class. And then finally, I'm working on an equity audit, which we are going to. We talked about the systemic and institutional uh, things we're going to. actually take a audit, um, go through a four-hour process where we're going to ask, answer questions that will evaluate us as a school district in terms of how we are from a financial perspective, resource perspective, pedagogy oh and curriculum, wow. people perspective, HR processes. And then at the end of that, we'll get a report that kind of tells us where we are and some recommendations, and that will inform my strategic plan on how we're going to do this work in Worthington Schools. Wow. So would you come back and give us an update? Sure. And we'll probably have other things to talk about as well, Toya. I am, Absolutely. I, I, I've enjoyed Absolutely. this so much, uh, so much with you. And um, one last thing I, I'm going to touch on, because I know we're running uh, close here on time. You, you, you mentioned about feeling safe, mm. right? Yes. Um, I, I really, I, I, I hear you in that. Um, I, I feel that because at Spirit of EQ, we try to help people understand this this is an area where you can feel safe. Mm-hmm. And, and some people I know kind of consider that kind of light and feathery, mm-hmm. but it's really very heavy. It I mean, it, it's, it's a very important thing. 
we're, we're, we're talking about the kind of safety in our world mm-hmm. is that, you know, if I run into something that makes me a little uncomfortable, I don't have to look over my shoulder to see if someone might have heard or seen. Mm-hmm. I can look at it and I can be curious. I can go at it from a different angle. I can, I can ask some maybe a little difficult question mm-hmm. or two. Because if, when people don't feel safe, and I'm speaking from my own experience, yes. what I did is I checked out. Yes. I basically, I had my three or four walls. And yes, in the meeting, I would acknowledge, mm-hmm. yes. And if they needed me to, sure. But all I was thinking in my head is, when are we leaving? When is this over? Yeah. A decision I made, my process, but I got to believe I'm not alone. So I applaud you in that, that, that there's that striving that people, they need to have a safe place where they can go and be. It's just really important. And it's on both ends, right? So I want to be clear in saying that for the person who may be on the end of experiencing racism or experiencing exclusion, they need to be in a safe environment to be able to say that as well. Yes. Right? Absolutely. uh, And not fearing that there's going to be some retaliation or there's Mm -hmm. going to be something that because I do bring this to your attention about where you've caused harm, that I'm not safe to be able to say that. So for me – Safety on both sides is important for us to get to um, common understanding yeah. of each other. So it's great, Toya. Once again, thank you for thank you for, for being us. on the show. We really thank appreciate you it. For we enjoyed this uh, audience. As always, uh, there'll be show notes, so there's a lot of information uh, further, and uh, we do appreciate you uh, tuning in. Hi everyone, this is Eric Pennington with the Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them, so... Reviews on all of the platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. Do you think that'd be good? I think that would be great because, one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So to we're, hear. we're not the perfect podcast host? We're close. Okay. All but, right. But, but not, still, not totally we want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it'll, it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them, so... Reviews on all of the platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think that'd be good? I think that would be great because, one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So we're we're not the perfect podcast host? We're close. Okay. All right. But 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 not not totally perfect. We want your feedback. We want your feedback. 
but it'll, it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based, and it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way. Thanks again for tuning in.